On today's edition of Grape Encounters Radio, we will take you where no wine show has ever dared to go before. Here's a little taste of what's to come. You're going to have to take the Grape Encounters pledge, okay? Yes. And repeat after me. I promise. I promise. That I will never pawn off. I will never pawn off. Any accidentally crummy wine that I made. Any accidentally crummy wine that I made. On my wine club members. On my wine club members. And now from our Central Coast Wine Country studio in the quaint, friendly, and historic town of Atascadero, California, it's time to enjoy an hour of the really good stuff on Grape Grape Encounters Radio. Heck, we may even uncork a bottle or two of wine while we're at it. Here's David Wilson. Peel me a grape, crush me some ice, skin me a peach, save the fuzz for my pillow. I got to tell you what, I am still tingling. I am still tingling. The hair is still standing up on the back of my neck from one of the best wine events. You know, it might be the best wine event I've ever been to. It was on my bucket list for a really long time. I said I was going to make the 10-hour drive. Actually, I didn't know it was going to be 10 hours, but I, I was going to make the 10-hour drive up to Mendocino for Wine Song because this is an event I've heard so much about. It's a charity event, and the reason I wanted to bring it to you is because I think that these kinds of events are incredible ways for nonprofits to raise money, but also incredible ways for you to be able to try an incredible amount of wine in a very short period of time, which can't always be healthy. But anyway, it's Wine Song. It's a benefit for the Mendocino Coast District Hospital. And the event director is Jamie Peters. I've got her on the line right now. We're going to take you to Wine Song in just a few minutes, but I want to just show you the power of wine by introducing Jamie. Jamie, welcome to Grape Encounters. Thank you so much, David. I couldn't interview you at Wine Song because we didn't have all the numbers in, right? Or you didn't have the numbers in, but now they're in. And I saw a little bit of what transpired. I'm stunned. I'm floored. <laughs> Talk about this. I mean, you're out in Mendocino. And so for those who don't know, that's way up the California coast. And it really is the boonies because you have to drive a long ways in the middle of nowhere through, of course, the beautiful Anderson Valley, which is one of the great wine regions of the world to get out to the Mendocino coast. But once you're there, it's extraordinary. One of the most beautiful places in all of the U.S., if not the world. And so there's a hospital out there that you work with, and they rely largely on this event to grow and to be able to provide services, right? Absolutely. So we're, I'm with the Mendocino Coast Hospital Foundation, and our sole purpose in Winesong, and actually just our goal is to provide quality health care, and that's by supporting and fundraising for our hospital. And so when, when people hear that, you think, oh, maybe they'll raise 25000 you know, like these kind of <laughs> events do. They raise 20000 or, you know, if you're lucky, 50000 If you're really super lucky, 100000 Take me to the bottom line as much as you're able to share, or at least give me some examples of what this enormous event does. Well, the event is really a two-in-one, and this was our 32nd year, and we've had people coming from all over the country and even in other parts of the world for many, many years. And so these are people that don't necessarily have anything to gain by supporting our hospital, but when we put on Wine Song, we give them a reason to come to our event. And so the first part of the event is this beautiful, glorious, grand tasting in our gorgeous coastal botanical gardens, and we'll have anywhere from 75 to 100 
wineries participating, and then about 50 different culinary vendors that would be executive chefs, pastry chefs, caterers, local restaurateurs. So it's quite spectacular. And then, of course, we add music on top of that. So that's the first part of the day. And then the second part of the day is really what we consider at the foundation to be the cornerstone of the event, and that's our auctions, and specifically our live auction, where we have amazing donations from incredibly generous people. And so we're so fortunate. And some of the wine lots that we get are just, I mean, this year we had a 24-bottle vertical of Joseph Phelps Insignia that was from 1990 to 2013. Wow, yeah. And that was a private donation from someone that is a longtime supporter of ours. And it's really mind-blowing to know that we have such incredibly gracious supporters like that. So I stopped bidding at $500. What did it end up going for? Well, we are still tallying because, believe it or not, we still have people donating to us. Okay, so but, I know but, it's, but, it's but kind the, of incredible. But the, but so the Joseph I Phelps vertical—you must know what that went for, right? Oh, for think? oh, for that, yeah, that went for eleven thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Only 22 times my maximum bid. (laughs) And mine too. (laughs) So that one lot, that one lot, and you had like 100 plus lots there, that one lot alone raised that amount of money. And then you had one segment of the auction, and forgive me, I don't remember what it's called, where people just donated for the sake of donating. And it was like in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. I was trying to add it up in my head, right? So this was incredible. This was actually a record-breaking for us. It's called the Fund-A-Need, and some other auctions will call it a Fund-A-Cause, but it's basically the one true, purely altruistic donation because you don't get anything back. You don't get a trip. You don't get wine. You don't get an experience. It's just for people to strictly give for this very specific cause. Couldn't you at least and- give them a keychain or a coffee mug? <laughs> <laughs> a keychain or a coffee mug, maybe. They get a lovely lunch. <laughs> okay, that's true. And hopefully a nice tax write-off, too. And so what, um, did, what did it raise? So the day of wine song, that raised $210,000. Oh, <laughs> Right? Which was $35,000 more than our best year in the fund need. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then since then, I have preliminary reports that we've raised another $10,000 just for that. Wow. Which is incredible because this was the largest ask that we've ever made. And it's very necessary. I mean, being in a place that's so remote with a hospital that services 600 square miles of residents and visitors to the coast, it's really important that we have great equipment because, you know, we have two air ambulances, but the next hospital, if you had to go by road, is easily an hour and a half away. Yeah, exactly. And so we're a critical care access hospital here, and we have been able, through our fund to need and other revenues from Winesong, to buy some really big deal items, big ticket items for the hospital. But, you know, hospital equipment is not inexpensive. So it is vitally important that we are able to raise a lot of money to cover these costs. But, you know, these kinds of fundraising events for nonprofits, hospitals, whatever, go on every day of the week around this country. I'm guessing that this is a million dollar plus event in terms of its ability to generate revenues. Am, Am I wrong? We're not quite there yet. We're just under you know, the million dollar range. And certainly it varies because it really depends a lot on how we do in the auction every year. Jamie, I haven't written my check yet. So let, let me know. <laughs> let me know what the deficit is. I'm talking to Jamie Peters. She is the event director of Wine Song. Yeah, it's a nonprofit fundraiser, but it's also one of the very best wine events in the country, if not the world. It's an opportunity to taste many of the very best wines of the region. And I'm telling you, these events done right are such an 
opportunity for listeners to go out and experience so much and pay so little to do it. If you consider the fact that if you go to Napa and Sonoma, it's not unusual to go to one tasting room and pay $20 for a tasting or even more than that. So for the small ticket to go to an event like Winesong, you literally, if you wanted to, and if you had the stamina, and if you had an (laughs) Uber or a designated driver, you could probably taste 500 wines easily. How about that? (laughs) That's a lot of wine. (laughs) Yeah, in one day. You know, we do that sometimes at some of the competitions that I judge, but we also spit. Right. I didn't see any spit and on... And we do have dump buckets. Yeah, but so, I, I didn't you know, see... You don't those... have to, to drink everything. Yeah, well, you know what? People that go to these events, they feel almost obligated to swallow. <laughs> <laughs> you know that, Jamie. I do. I do. <laughs> Cleanest it's, dump buckets I've ever seen, I tell you what. Yeah, exactly. You know what? I just want to say this. This was held in the botanical gardens uh, yes. there in Mendocino. I have never seen a setting like that for a wine event. I have never seen anything like that. I mean, the Dahlia Garden alone, it took me two hours just to get out of that one section. (laughs) This area just surrounded by the most gorgeous Dahlias, beautiful wines, delicious food. It was so stunning. This is an event, and this is coming from a guy who has been to just so many of them. This event is one I will never forget. How's that? That's pretty darn cool. That's an endorsement. Okay. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I uh, We think it's stunning, too, of course, all bias included. But, yeah, we are so happy to have our event at the Mendocino Coast Botanical Gardens because it is lovely. And everyone that works there, I mean, they work really hard as our partners to make sure that it looks gorgeous for the event. And they cut back the lawns, clear out areas. They're really great partners for us in that regard, and we appreciate it because it shows when our guests come and they're just blown away by how gorgeous it is. All right. Well, Jamie, we now are going to, and if you'd like to join me, hop aboard the Grape Encounters time machine, and we're going to get on board, and I am now going to take our listeners, and everybody bring your invisible wine glasses, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm going to take them to Wine Song now. You know, they missed it, but really, they're not missing it because they get to go, and and unfortunately, they're not going to be able to drink any wine. Bummer. (laughs) Are you coming with me, Jamie? You betcha. All right, climb on board. We are getting in now to the Grape Encounters time machine. Jamie Peters is joining me, the event director of Winesong. And right after these messages, you will be with me at Winesong on the beautiful Mendocino Coast in the Mendocino Botanical Gardens. So join us there next. Your grape encounter with David Wilson will continue right after this. Words can be very confusing. When you're crazy, people say that you're nuts. But what if you're crazy about nuts? Well, that doesn't mean that you should be sent to the funny farm. It means that you should be sent to the farm of MM Organics, the producers of organic heirloom walnuts and walnut products that are so incomparably unique and delicious, other nuts will be reduced to wallflowers. Whoops, there we go with those crazy meanings of words again. After all, if being a wallflower means disappearing into the background, then why does being a walnut from MM Organics mean standing out from the rest? Confused? Well, you won't be... When you discover the glorious deliciousness of walnut halves, baking pieces, fair trade chocolate covered walnuts, and other scrumptious walnut products from MM Organics. Learn more and order yours at mmorganics.com, where you'll also find our utterly irresistible two horse Portuguese dessert wine that everyone goes nuts for. Get crazy at mmorganics.com. 
for years I've been dying to get a truly exceptional wine refrigerator to keep my liquid assets safe from the scorching summer heat that can turn awesome wine into teardrops. Heat is the number one enemy of fine wine, and collectors will tell you that a wine cellar is absolutely essential. Well, that's just not true. For a tiny fraction of the cost to build even a modest cellar in a converted closet, you can own a wine refrigeration unit so exceptional and so beautiful that you'll want to show it off to absolutely everyone. My unit is truly the best there is. It's from King's Bottle, the experts in wine preservation and cooling. King's Bottle has wine refrigerators for every need. They're gorgeous to look at and priced lower than you would ever imagine. Want to see why I'm so excited? Click the King's Bottle link at GrapeEncounters.com. King's Bottle wine refrigerators are so cool. See them at GrapeEncounters.com. This segment of Grape Encounters is brought to you by SOMCON 2016, the ultimate educational and informational event for wine professionals and serious enthusiasts, taking place November 16th through the 19th in San Diego, California. Get more information at SOMCONUSA.com. with Grape Encounters Radio, and as promised, our Grape Encounters time machine has taken you back a few days to our amazing visit to one of the country's most extraordinary wine events, Wine Song 2016, at the incredible Mendocino, California Botanical Gardens, and more specifically, in the breathtaking Dahlia Garden, where I'm joined by Jeff Hansen of Lula Cellars, definitely the most Hansen guy here. <laughs> Man, good and, for my ego. You know, you know, the best part is, is that after a few glasses of wine, we all look good, Jeff, don't yeah. we? Huh? And that's that's third phase we call it. You, you know? are a good looking guy though. What what is your nationality that you Italian. Got? Italian, see? Yeah. I'm half Italian. My mother's maiden name Scacchinoche. And yours is Bacigalupe. Bacigalupe. Are you serious? No. <laughs> No, actually, it's Battaglia. Battaglia. Okay. Battaglia, all right, yeah. good. Anyway, Lula is the brand. And first of all, there are more and more of these kind of events that go on all over the country, which is a great way to get out and taste more wine than you should reasonably taste in a day, right? Exactly. It's a very irresponsible way to taste wine, <laughs> but a fun way all the same as long as you have Uber and a room, right? It is in a very worthy cause, too, obviously. But Yeah, this is a fundraiser. And actually, fundraisers make these kinds of events possible. Yeah. But what I thought was interesting about your label, you make premium wines yes. here in California in the Anderson Valley, which I think people who are familiar with wine are going to know the Anderson Valley, I think. It's one of those regions that has become better known in recent years, you know, following in the footsteps of Napa and Sonoma. True, they, they, they have more uh, love given to them than we've had, but with Pinot Noir being so popular since that silly movie came out, all of a sudden, we do Pinot Noir, and it's brought great attention to us in Anderson Valley. But the movie did Pinot a disservice as well. It did. Because everybody that could make popcorn thought that they could make Pinot, right? Exactly. Pinot, popcorn! <laughs> no style, no nothing. Just put a label on it and sell it. Yeah, and it tastes terrible. A good percentage of it, right? <laughs> a lot of the time it did. Yeah. So you were telling me something before we got on the air, which is that virtually all of your sales are through the tasting room and through the wine club. And that means that you go to events like this, you have people, they'll sign up for the wine club here, right? They can, exactly. Yeah. Greater exposure for us out in public. Right. So they get to taste it. 
and then we don't have a distributor that are stepping on the price of your wine, right? Exactly. So what we're doing is we're cutting out the middleman distributor that way. We sell direct to the consumer, which means we keep our prices down, so it's more affordable all the way around. So what is the overall impact that you think that that has on the price of a bottle of wine? Oh I mean, my how, God. how much less can you sell a bottle for because of 40, that fact? 40%. 40% less. So a wine that would have retailed through a distributor for... If it was on the shelf, dollars maybe. Right. If it was on the shelf for forty-five, that means that if I had sold that bottle of wine to that distributor, I would have sold it for about twenty dollars. Right. And you would have made nothing on it. Nothing. Virtually nothing on it. I'd have to make more and more wine to try and make money at the wine I have. So it's it's challenging to go with distribution. The way we do it is going direct to the consumer, which is direct to consumer DTC. The fact that we've cut out the middleman, the distributors, and all. That way, we're able to stay in business. So. So you actually get to take hot showers because of that, right? Exactly, and they're they're a hell of a lot more fun, (laughs) let me tell you. you It depends who you take the cold shower with. (laughs) Well, you've got a point there, but still. Jeff, you know, between you and I, there have been many a times that you and I have had too much wine and have had to take a cold shower, even though we had a choice of Is this going out over the airwaves now? (laughs) (laughs) People are listening as we speak. Sure, sure. All right, let's talk about, Lula, the kinds of wines that you're making. Pinot for sure. Anderson Valley making some great Pinot. And that valley kind of runs sort of diagonal, right? It does. So yeah. it's not east, west, north, south. No, exactly. And it's closer yeah. to the yeah. coast, henceforth, it is cooler. And Pinot Noir loves cool weather. You wouldn't grow Cabernet in our valley or Merlot or something else. It wouldn't do well there at all. So so the thing that I found interesting was driving out here yesterday, going through these valleys, you start at one end of the valley, it's 91 degrees. Yes. By the time you get to the coast, it's <laughs> like 54, 55 it's degrees. Exactly right. How is that possible? Uh, it's those microclimates. You know, we have so much cold weather out here on the coast and fog that it ends up kind of creating a barrier of where the redwood trees are. So all of a sudden you get out of that barrier of the redwoods, it picks up 15 degrees immediately. 10 miles later, it's 20 degrees warmer, 30 degrees warmer after that too. So you have all these different microclimate growing regions there, which makes it pretty fascinating that you can grow virtually any grape over here. But the Pinot Noir does the best because of the cool climate. And we've proved that over and over again. We hold our own with any other area now. So So how many years do you think it's been that people have really begun to take notice of the Pinot from the Anderson Valley? You know, if I had to put a number on it, I would say it's probably been somewhere around maybe 12 to 14 years now. 12 to 14 years now. And there were were leaders in this, like Navarro and Lazy Creek and so on, that really tried to specialize in it and did. And they kind of did all the homework that we got to benefit from. What clone to plant of Pinot Noir, what rootstock to use, what area to plant it in, all these different variables that come in. Because really, the hardest part about making Pinot Noir is growing Pinot Noir. Yeah. It truly is. I mean, it's really a very, very challenging kind of thing right there. So the idea of selling direct to consumer, interesting concept. And one of the things that I really try to stress to listeners is, you know, once you find wines and you can certainly find great recommendations online, when you're buying directly from the winery, first of all, you save yourself a ton of money, right? Yes, you do. Second of all, the investment on the part of the winery is going to be into making great wines as opposed to marketing. Exactly. Because you either market. Don't have to. How much do you love social media and the internet, you know, in recent years. I mean, it's got to be your best friend. It it, it truly is. If my wines were being rated, let's say, by the Wine 
Spectator, one of the big publications, maybe months before the word even gets out on it, if at all. And you'll be out of it. And I might be yeah, sold exactly. out of it by then. Social media or bloggers, in 48 hours to two weeks, it's out there and it's going ballistic. So where are places that you have people buying your wine from that is way out and you go, how did that happen? Well, I mean, we're out of Connecticut. We're out of Maine. We how did they find you? Florida. You know, a lot of them had been by the winery and actually had tasted it there and joined our wine club. And all of a sudden, three times a year, they get a nice package delivered to them. Now, talking about your wine club, you're going to have to take the Grape Encounters Pledge, okay? Yes. Okay. And repeat after me. I, Jeff Hansen. I, Jeff Hansen. Promise. Promise. That I will never pawn off. I will never pawn off. Any accidentally crummy wine that I made. Any accidentally crummy wine that I made. On my wine club members. On my wine club members. That is for relatives that visit that I don't like. <laughs> we call those the outlaws, not the in-laws. <laughs> you, know. you know what I mean, though? I do, yeah. I know you're not that kind of guy. No. But I get so angry at people who pawn off their garbage, the stuff they couldn't sell on their wine club members. Why don't we just shoot the people who are paying our bills? Wineries have for years done that where they've, what are we long on? Let's send that, you know? Let's get through that inventory. Everybody that joins our club, they decide what they want each shipment. If they don't like anything that's on the list, they skip to the next shipment. There's no harm, no foul, no fine. That's how it should be. Okay, you know what? You're going to do the pinky swear on that? You bet. I am. All right, okay. Right there, buddy. Pinky swear right on the air. It's a pinky swear. All right. You know what? I'm going to say this. I feel confident that if you want to just order some of Jeff's wines, Jeff is going to take care of you. I watched reactions to Jeff's wines. Everybody was loving the wines. There was a longer line at Jeff's table than any place else. Jeff Hansen, he's the winemaker, owner of Lula Cellars, and it is lulacellars.com, not Lulu. Lula. Thank you. And uh, if somebody's got any questions, they could probably call you personally, right? Of course they can. You can always reach me at 707 895 If I'm not there, I'm out in the vineyard. I'll call you back with Cars a are skidding hours. on the highway as people try to grab a pen to write that yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just go to lulacellars.com. Hey, Jeff, nice having you. It was a pleasure being here today. All right, we're doing a radio handshake now, and we're going to be back with more Grape Encounters Radio coming to you from Wine Song 2016 in the Mendocino Botanical Gardens with just a little bit of a fog layer to keep it cool as we enjoy the very hot wines of Mendocino County and beyond on Grape Encounters Radio. Hi, this is David Wilson. It's California Wine Month. Time to raise a glass to all things California wine. Let's face it, Grape Encounters fans are looking for any excuse to enjoy wine. And this September is the perfect time to toast the state that puts America's wines on the map. So if you're listening on the East Coast, Midwest, Southwest, or Northwest, I encourage you to join me in saluting Wine Month by drinking your favorite California wines at home or at your local restaurant. I'll be there enjoying it with you, in spirit. If you're lucky enough to be in California this month, you can choose among 60-plus events and activities around the state. What better way to experience harvest than to take part in wine festivals, winemaking classes, winemaking dinners, VIP tastings, and tours? To learn more about these events or just geek out on California wines, visit discovercaliforniawines.com. Yes, siree, that's discovercaliforniawines.com. A few days ago, a listener visited our wine bar, the Grape Encounters Emporium, because he wanted to see for himself if the wines from Cardella that I brag about all the time are as good as I keep telling all of you. He had driven quite a long distance to check out the Cardella wines, so we were delighted to let him sample them all. When he was most of the way through the tasting, I asked him if I had oversold these wines in any way. He smiled and replied, 
absolutely not. I can't recall any winery blowing my mind with virtually every wine they make. But after watching literally hundreds of faces light up after the first sip, I can tell you without any reservation that I believe Cardella is poised to be the next great American cult winery. Extraordinary whites, incomparable reds, insanely great values. I love Cardella's wines, and you will too. Learn how to get yours online at GrapeEncounters.com. This segment of Grape Encounters is presented by the incomparable wines of Cardella Winery, a favorite of everyone here at Grape Encounters. Purely delicious, purely amazing. Learn more at CardellaWinery.com. with Grape Encounters Radio and so happy to be at an event that has been on my bucket list for the entire year. It is Wine Song in Mendocino, the town of Mendocino on the Mendocino coast of California. Mendocino County, a place that grows just amazing wines. And if you're lucky enough to travel to Mendocino by way of the Anderson Valley, you will see some of the most beautiful wine country on planet Earth. That is not an overstatement of the facts. And there are two folks with me now from Father and Daughters Cellars, and they are making some incredible pinots. I've got with me now Guy Pacura and Sarah Shoneman, and you're like right in the thick of things, right? In the Anderson Valley? We are. We are. We're she just pushed about- that microphone away from you. Did you see that? <laughs> I saw that. We're just a mile outside of Boonville. Yeah, Boonville. Boonville is exactly what it sounds like too, right? It is. It's a small town. It's exactly what you imagine when you think of small town USA. When I went through Boonville for the first time, I saw that they had a fair. They had sheepdog trials at the fair. Sheepdog trials. Sheepdog trials. Okay. And uh, it's just the kind of place you want to be and you want to hang out. It was one of the first things you said to me off mic was, doesn't the Anderson Valley look like what you think Napa was supposed to look like? I actually, I think Napa actually did look that way for a while. Yeah. I've heard that it's the Napa of 30 years ago, but they probably said about Sonoma and Uh, about everywhere else. Is there a lot of effort in the Anderson Valley to maintain it the way it is? Because Napa, of course, has exploded. Sonoma, not so much different, but Anderson Valley, it doesn't appear to be too much different than what it looked like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Well, I think the proximity of Napa and Sonoma to the Bay Area is probably the biggest contributor to the fact that it's grown so quickly. Right. And the Anderson Valley is kind of protected by Highway 128, which is a twisty, curvy road that takes you up into it. And I think that's part of the reason that it's been able to remain small and charming. You got to want to go there. You do. It's a destination. It's not a place you think about as you're driving somewhere else. Yeah. But amazing wines there and the density of really outstanding wineries of which all of our listeners all across the country will be familiar with many of those names is really amazing. I mean, there's just some of the best names in the world in the Anderson Valley. Do you think that in other parts of the country that the Anderson Valley is starting to be recognized in the same way that, let's say, Napa and Sonoma might have been recognized 20 years ago? Is that happening? I think it is. I think in the last couple of years, I've seen the Wine Spectator pick up on the Anderson Valley and and run some serious coverage 
coverage on it. I've seen the uh, Wall Street Journal do a great article in the Anderson Valley. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's starting to get recognition. I don't think it'll change it. Sarah? But we're also getting more wineries from outside of the area, Arista, William Selliam, Cake Bread, who are sourcing their grapes from Anderson Valley. So these are you know, typically Napa or Sonoma wineries, but they're getting their Pinot or even Gewurz from Anderson Valleys. So let's talk Pinot for a second. You know, it's not my favorite grape. It's not that it's not my favorite grape. So I got to be really clear because people who are not so familiar with the show don't understand why I would ever malign Pinot. But the only reason I malign it is because in the post-sideways days, everybody thought they should just plant Pinot and grow Pinot. And even though they teach students in marketing classes, the sideways effect and how a movie with fictitious characters caused a varietal to explode, what they failed to mention is the fact that that explosion yielded a whole lot of terrible Pinot. And I have to imagine that as winemakers that pride yourselves on making excellent Pinots, by the way, a style that I really love, that it can be infuriating to taste cruddy Pinot. Well, I mean, I'm getting you in trouble with that question for sure. Yeah. In addition to having the the fathers and daughters sellers, we also have an inn and we get this question a lot at the inn. People ask us, well, what's your favorite wine? What's your favorite Pinot? Don't you hate that question, by the way? Because it's so personal. What time of day is it? Yeah. It depends on what you like. Like when the guests ask what time the whales are going to go by. What time are the whales going by? You get that every so often. But <laughs> Four I mean, hours ago. Yeah. The style of Pinot that we produce is a style that we like, and we're lucky to have a winemaker who's focused on that style as well. One that's lean, it's Burgundian. It lets the vineyard and the terroir speak for itself. Very little new oak is used. That's the way that we like Pinot. But other people's tastes may be different. I mean, these wineries that produce Pinots that you don't like are doing quite well. Oh, mushrooms, rotten leaves, and forest. <laughs> Florida. No, you know, that's just not for me. But the thing about Pinot is, is that there are so many different styles of Pinot. So if I asked you what would be varietally correct when it comes to Pinot, what would your answer be? Well, I'd say Burgundian. You'd say Burgundian. But I, I would agree with you. And I'd say Pinot's like the chameleon of varietals. I mean, it can take so many shapes and forms. Do you think consumers care about varietal correctness? No. I don't either. I think consumers care about either what people tell them to care about or what they taste and like. Wow. That's an interesting twist because most everybody answers, consumers care about what they like, what they love. But you're the first person to say what people tell them they're supposed to like. Somebody has to get you to try it first. Right. I mean, some people may just say, I'm going to try this Pinot off the shelf. But if they've been told something is good, they're more likely to try it first. Apart from having a wine label, you also have Brewery Gulch Inn. So you know from operating a tasting room, presumably, and an inn that no amount of cajoling, honestly, is going to make a wine taste better. And, And, you know, personally, say, oh, yes, that is delicious. And then they get outside and they go, oh, well, it was terrible. Well, you can lead them to the wine, but they have to decide to drink it and they have to decide they like it. Power of suggestion only goes so far. Right. So in your experience, are you finding that people are liking the Burgundian style of Pinot better than the more marshy, musty styles that, you know, are so popular here? I think a large percentage of the people that come to the Anderson Valley, that come to the inn and go to the Anderson Valley, are more informed drinker of wine, and they have an idea of what the Anderson Valley style is like. And not everybody in the Anderson style is Burgundian, but I'd say by and large, it is a cleaner and less impacted style of making Pinot in the Anderson Valley, where not a lot of oak is used. So there's consistency amongst the winemakers there in terms of that Burgundian style? There are some that are outside of that box, but I think for the most part, there's a kind of a consistent style of Pinot in the Valley. Okay, so how can you better ensure when you go out to buy a Pinot that you're going to get some 
something that you're going to be happy with other than the answer that I expect you to say, which is by Anderson Valley Pinos. <laughs> give people guidance because, you know, I will give up my Pinot hating if you can answer this question. Well, that's, and I, it's not Pinot hating, but you know what I'm saying. That, but it's, how, a tough, it's a tough question because people's tastes are different. And obviously the wineries outside the Anderson Valley that make a different style of Pinot must be doing something well and people must like it because they're successful. So I'd say Pinot is a grape and a wine that you need to try and decide for yourself what you like. It's really hard. But I say take a chance and try some different Pinots from different regions. So is price a good way to judge Pinot? Because Pinot can be quite an expensive wine. No. It's not a good way. I don't think so. Because I would say that that would be true with Cabernet, that, you know, when you get up into high prices, generally speaking, you're probably going to be getting a halfway decent cab, but not true for Pinot. I don't think so. I think that the Anderson Valley produces world-class Pinots, but their price point, from what I've seen down in Sonoma, is different. What will you sell me one of your best bottles of Pinot for? $42. $42. That is a bargain, right? Uh, Well, compared Compared to to, the pricing that I see in other areas, but I know down in Sonoma, their Pinots are going for $60, $70, $80 a bottle. I saw one for $90. Wow. We're talking to Guy Pekira and Sarah Shoneman. They are the owners of Fathers and Daughters Cellars on a very famous vineyard, right? Farrington Vineyard. Farrington Vineyard. And that goes back how far? It goes back about 60 years, but my family's owned it for about 20 years. Wow. And so you were quite young when they bought it. Of course. I was a baby. A baby. <laughs> and did you squeeze the grapes between your toes? Yes, I did. You, you did, of, didn't lots you? Of yeah. my, lots of my toe jam in there. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> it, was, it was actually Sarah who found the vineyard for her father. Oh, that is really awesome. Okay, so people can buy your wines online, right? They can. For most anywhere, right? We can ship almost anywhere. Okay. And it's F&D Sellers, F-A-N-D Sellers, Fathers and Daughters Sellers. Okay, or just Google Fathers and Daughters daughters Sellers. sellers. Yep. And I can tell you, folks, I've had the Pinot, absolutely delicious. So you know if I like it, you're going to love it. What are the varietals? We have a Sauvignon Blanc from 50-year-old vines. That's really great. Oak or no oak? We use very little new oak in any of our wines. And and those are neutral oak. Our whites are neutral oak. The Pinot has a little bit of new oak in it. Okay. So we do the Sauvignon Blanc Chardonnay, which we picked up a couple of medals for, which was gratifying. That's exciting. Uh, our Gewürztraminer. Chardonnay, by the way, you know, is for anybody who might wonder this, it is probably the second hardest wine to judge in a wine competition. Every judge will tell you that. Chardonnay, second hardest. First hardest. Pinot. Got it. Yeah. Yep. So it's interesting. At the end, we notice that there's kind of a, an age differentiation between people like the oakier Chardonnay, more malolactic. Yeah. And people like the crisper, cleaner Chardonnay. And it's the, the younger population tends to like crisper and cleaner, and older population tends to like it a little more malolactic. Kind of seems oak. like we have three Chardonnays out there right now. Oak, no oak, and medium oak. Yeah. You know what? I've often thought that a winemaker should, when a Chardonnay is very buttery, they should just put it in a Mrs. Butterworth's bottle. <laughs> okay. Ours is a crisper Chardonnay. All right. Got just a second left. I didn't want to overlook a couple of the other varietals that you have. Sure. We do a fantastic Gewürztraminer. We do a great white blend called the Dance of all three of the white varietals. And then this year we're doing a Pet Nat rustic sparkling wine. Okay, so explain the Pet Nat because it's not something we've talked a lot about on the show. Pressed into bottle and capped with a crown cap, not corked. It will be a little bit yeastier, a little bit of sediment on the bottom, a very rustic style. We liked it. We fell in love with it and we tried it. And so we thought we would do one. It's, let's just call it Chardonnay beer. Chardonnay beer. Okay. Right? <laughs> <laughs> about as close as it gets. Hey, well, thanks for being on. I really appreciate it very much. It's a pleasure. It's nice having you guys. And now we're going to take a little break. You're going to pour a little bit of wine. And we're going to come back and talk to Sarah Schneider. Sounds great. Thank you. Again, thank you very much. 
As summer fades and fall settles in, magic happens in wine countries around the globe. Vineyards laden with luscious fruit become the center of attention, and wine lovers from far and wide come to celebrate the long-awaited harvest. Every wine country has its own unique character and events to commemorate the season, but few places offer the diversity and sheer number of opportunities that await you on California's central coast. So if you want to be in the absolute center of it all, set your sights on Atascadero. Unpretentious, inexpensive, and the truest expression of Americana, Atascadero is the perfect base camp for your fall wine adventure. Atascadero is the midpoint between Los Angeles and San Francisco, but during harvest, it might as well be the center of the universe. The wine world waits all year for harvest, but don't wait to book your California Central Coast wine adventure. Let Atascadero be your gracious host. And all you have to do is log on to visitatascadero.com. Opportunity is knocking in a big way for wine, beer, and spirit industry professionals, as well as serious enthusiasts. SOMCON 2016 is coming to the Marriott Marquis San Diego Marina, November 16th through the 19th. SOMCON brings together some of the greatest thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and artisans to discuss, develop, and lead the conversation on the business of wine. Attendees learn and taste their way through keynote sessions and educational classes, complete with a trade-only tasting and expo. Tapping into the enormous experience of master sommeliers, masters of wine, CSWs, and other pros, this unique assembly of rising stars and established professionals offers aficionados four days filled with invaluable networking, education, roundtable discussions, and serious elbow rubbing. For more information about SOMCON, visit SOMCONUSA.com. When wine lovers aren't talking about wine, it usually means they're asleep. Your Grape Encounter continues with David Wilson. We are back with Grape Encounters Radio, coming to you from Wine Song, an absolutely amazing tasting event in Mendocino, California, where behind me you can hear what promises to be a million-dollar wine auction taking place. And now beside me is my weekly partner in wine, Sarah Schneider, wine editor of Sunset Magazine. And it's a rarity for Sarah and I to be at an event like this together. Sarah, I can't believe you're here. I am on the road. It's a field trip here. And Sarah, you've been kind of off doing your thing all day. Right. And I've been doing mine. Tasting and sipping. We didn't even have one glass of wine together No, today. we still need to do that. So, so what did you do? Tell me your strategy, the kinds of things that you were looking for. I know you were doing some Pinot homework, right? I was. Actually, you know what? I've had my eye on Mendocino County for... For a long time, actually, for my whole life, I've been coming up here because I have relatives up here. Yeah. But only in the last five, ten years has the wine, well, it's been here for way more than that and solid, but suddenly it's gotten really exciting. And so I'm up here specifically looking at Pinot Noir and trying to suss out some labels, some producers that weren't on my radar before, and it's been pretty successful so far. Is there a story in the works? If I have anything to say about it, and I hope I do. Yes, Sunset needs Mendocino on its schedule because this is really exciting. Seriously, if you haven't been wine tasting up here recently, it's time. And, you know, so much of the kind of wines that you come to appreciate from places like Napa and Sonoma, but Mendocino, better values, I think, in general. 
You're going to find some different varietals that you might not see. A lot of Italian varietals that you don't normally see. That is uh, true. Because there were a yeah. lot of Italians that settled this area a long time ago. Right. And those tend to be up and down the 101 corridor through Ukiah, which, you know, sort of Redwood Valley, lots of Italian varietals there. And I think there's one that you should taste coming up through Yorkville Highlands, 128 into the Anderson Valley. Yorkville Cellars does a really good Cabernet Franc. Oh, yes. I think that should be you know on your... I love yeah. Cab Franc. Yeah. I will definitely do that if I can search them out. We've got some interesting stuff going on in the background. People are probably going, what is all that babbling in the background? <laughs> so what's interesting about these events, more and more of these kinds of events are taking place all over the country, and they've proven to be very effective ways for communities to get things done. And this community of Mendocino has a first-rate hospital. This is a good place for you and I to get sick it right would now, be. right? Yeah. No wishes for that, but yes. So, so you hear this auction going on that is sort of like a junior version of the Sonoma auction or the Napa auction, right? It is. And you know, there was a time when this auction, which I came to years ago, and even the Sonoma auction were really just homespun community events. The Sonoma auction was kind of a local talent show, you know, funny. But now everything is getting a little bit slicker. This auction still feels not, not like... Not us, Sarah. No. No, we're not, not slicker. Slick. No. no. Okay. I won't be slick. But this auction still has a very... Very much a community feel. People are coming together to taste the wines of the area, but there is a lot of interest from the outside here on the ground, too. And these numbers that they're putting on the board are really respectable for lots that are wines you couldn't find in any other way but to come to an event like this. There are some wines from the outside. There is a whole horizontal of Bordeaux, vertical of Napa Valley Insignia. Some incredible finds here. And I think what makes these very good opportunities is, and I really encourage people to look for these kinds of events, and there's, I'm going to say there's thousands of them that occur throughout the country now, is that because they're charity events, there's a tendency for a lot of really good wines to come to the event and be donated or also served at the event, which means that you're going to have a lot of wine to taste there. You could never do this going out to tasting rooms, right? You couldn't go to you know, my tops is five tasting rooms a day. And that's, that's high and that's, for me. And that's really high, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and five's a lot. But here, you know, I've probably tasted realistically from 20. Right. And probably right. tasted four, no, maybe 60 wines today. That makes sense. And I'm yeah. sleeping in a U-Haul tonight. <laughs> But you can come and you can taste a lot of wine. You can get a room. You can take a shuttle bus. It's easy. It's the single best way to navigate a wine region in a very short period of time. Have a lot of fun. Oh, and write it off on your taxes. Did I mention that? Write it off. There is that. There is that. So we were sitting in there together at a table just moments ago, and they raised just with one item, and it wasn't even an item. They just said, who wants to donate for the smart bed? You know, like smartphones, smart beds. They raised like $260,000. For the hospital. I want a bed that smart. Exactly. But the spirit of that is, as they said, you're not getting something for this. You're just donating, and everybody lifted their paddle. You lifted your paddle. I did. Yeah. I'm proud of that. 
I didn't get a paddle. <laughs> oh, that's a problem. You know, what, you know, you know, you know what? That was probably the most fortuitous thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> yeah, paddles are dangerous things. I, want, I can tell you. Quick, sit on the paddle. <laughs> have you ever, you know, because you go to a lot of these auctions, have you screwed up at any time? I protect your myself. Scratch your ear with a paddle pretty, or something like no, that. No major screw ups yet. No. So yeah, they were auctioning off all kinds of really cool stuff. Travel. By the way, these things oftentimes are great opportunities to score some really cool things like rare wines that you're never, ever, ever, ever going to be able to buy because they're in somebody's collection, private collection. Right. I actually, it impressed me today for one thing is that, and I recently was at the Sonoma auction and before that the Napa, auction Napa Valley. And in those auctions, most of the wines are donated by the wineries themselves. Yeah. This one is unique in that many, many local people who have ties to the wine industry dip into their private cellars and they actually offer up lots that they've collected, which is quite an unusual opportunity contrasted to Sonoma and Napa. (laughs) Tell me some things that impressed you today, real quick. we got Uh, just a minute. Real quick. I have to shout out for some producers here, especially Pinot, since that was my research coming up to start. I tasted Waits Mast, a newish producer, well worth seeking out. Fathers and Daughters, the wines. We just had them on the show just a few minutes ago. Did you really? Yeah, just okay. had, you just missed them. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Lula Vineyards, really just young. Just had them on the show. Oh a few my goodness, ago. we're on the same. We're on the same You've page. Been following me around. I, you know, maybe. Yeah, okay. All right. But also, I would shout out to the Alsatian varieties in Anderson Valley, especially the Gewurztraminers. Just had a Lazy Creek that was beautiful and dry. Rieslings, Pinot Blancs. These are rising stars in Anderson Valley. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for Grape Encounters today. Sarah, glad that we could meet up here. It's good to be on the road with nice you. Nice to have a little field trip. we got to do more of this. And uh, we will see you next week, same time, same channel, for another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. More importantly, though, another installment of Sippin' with Sarah. I'll be there. Today's Grape Encounter may be over, but look at the bright side. Now you get to put everything you learned today into practice. And don't forget to join our Grape Encounters Radio Facebook group page, where incredibly fun people just like you share ideas and frequently get together to share a bottle as well. 